Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. We are going to check back in with Matt's ever-growing spreadsheet, man. I wish you guys, I think we have to tweet out a screenshot of this spreadsheet because it is growing and growing and growing and I've got to like scroll down and up and everywhere to see everything we've got going on today. One interesting statistic, Matt, I think that that we wanted to cover today was sacks. Sacks allowed, sack differential. So it's a really important factor to playing football, right? In the National Football League is getting pressure on the quarterback. Sacks isn't a perfect statistic, but when you get the sample big enough and you talk about a team sacking the other team, uh, I think there's a little bit more correlation to how good your pass rush is in total with total sacks. And you can tell sacks allowed by some teams that are that are not getting very good play from their either their quarterback or their big men up front. So I don't know if there's any other way you want to preface this. Um, actually, before we get into your spreadsheet in the sack differential around the league, I do want to tease tomorrow's show. We haven't oh, really yeah. talked much about the Washington Redskins situation and the Redskins team name being changed maybe before the 2020 season because we have the host of Locked On Redskins, probably soon to be a new podcast name, actually, uh, Locked On Something. Chris Russell will be joining the show on Tuesday, so we will break all of that down. He's in the know. He's there in D.C. and can break all of that stuff down. So we'll get into what's going on with the Washington football franchise on Tuesday's program. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and here's the whole sack situation. Is everyone knows I've got this spreadsheet going and I've been dorking out in my uh, downtime here with the COVID situation. And I think everyone also knows that I'm a big believer and a big fan of what Warren Sharp does. And I don't claim to be an analytics person. I just dip my toes slightly, slightly in the water and do very basic things. But I've been listening to Warren a lot this offseason and his book comes out early July, and the he gives you a free chapter. It happens to be the Steelers, but I would have read it anyway. It was the Giants last year. And something I've noticed he's been stressing a lot is sack differential in terms of determining the really good teams and whatnot. And he can explain it better than me, of course. And I think the stat is a little bit more reflective than pr- predictive. You know, I mean, if you play with a lot of leads, mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of more sacks, things like that. But there's a reason you're playing with a lot of leads, too. I mean, it gets yourself to that situation. And I think we all understand that in such a passing game-driven league, protecting your quarterback, not taking negative negative plays, not getting into second and 18, potential fumbles, things like that, and getting after opposing quarterbacks pays off a great deal. So, BP, what I wanted to do was kind of buzz through the team's that have the most and and fewest sacks, and then buzz through the teams that had gave up the most and fewest sacks, and then the differential, which I think is kind of telling. Yeah, check out some of the teams in the green, some of the teams in the red here on your spreadsheet. And uh, the other question I have here, just looking at the, the list as a whole, is there, since it's not as much predictive as it is more of a snapshot of how the 2019 teams and, and how they performed on the field last season, do you think there's some automatic regression here for some teams on the top and some teams on the bottom? And maybe we can find some teams on the bottom that can get a lot better just because they get after the quarterback much better than they did the year before? Probably. And you would hope just as an overlying theme year after year, if you're at the bottom of the league in sacks, 
you went out and get Chase Young. You know what I mean? And actually, Washington just missed. They were pretty good. They had 46 sacks. So that they might take a big jump and be in the top three or four next year. You know, so I would hope that if you are low, I, the number one offseason priority, maybe quarterback aside, is finding pass rush help because it's that important. And it leads us to this. I mean, there's, there, I think there's some really interesting teams here. And of the top group, I'm not sure who I expect to go backwards. Maybe Minnesota. They lost Everson Griffin, but Daniel Hunter is a great player. But just counting them down, and, and people, this probably won't blow people away. The Steelers were first. And quick Steeler note, because I mentioned how it's a reflective situation. I always say this on my Steeler show. The Steelers led the league in sacks now. That's three years in a row. I'm not sure if everyone realizes that. And this past year, I don't remember one game where the Steelers were up 12, 14 points and there's eight minutes on the clock and terrible towels are flying and it's loud as could be and everyone knows that they're coming after the passer. Like a lot of these teams are good teams to play with the lead late in games, close people out. Steelers offense was so bad, they were never in that situation late in games. That's an interesting angle to that. And it's funny because I think record-wise, the Steelers weren't where they, they should have been. They got worse offensively because of the quarterback, but they got better defensively, right? Am I right. wrong about that? Right, right. There's no question. And they generated sacks this year. They still blitzed a lot, but they won so many more one-on-one matchups with Watt, Dupree, Tuit, Hayward, Hargrave, as opposed to getting linebackers coming free and blitzing corners and things like that. So I think it's a little more predictive that they just have a really good pass rush. The second team on this list might you know, might really shock some people is the Carolina Panthers had 53 sacks. And you often talk about how excited you are about their young defensive front. Maybe they can maintain this, and that would wow. really be something. And Carolina's differential is in the negative. So that's, that's how many, what I wanted to bring up. That's how many sacks they gave up. Wow. Right. They were one of the most sacks allowed. They, they had the second most sacks in the league and still were minus five. So let's pretend Bridgewater has a little better feel and gets the ball out quicker and the line's a little better. And the still this young defensive line led by KK Short and Burns is, you know, 45, 50 sacks. That could really be, that's something I think the Panthers fans should be excited about. Well, maybe the new folks in charge in Carolina, Matt Rule, and maybe they drafted the wrong line of scrimmage in the draft because they went all defense. Right. They they drafted 100% defensive players. Maybe they should have worked on the offensive line a little bit more. That's a good point. You know, like one was a strength already and one was not, obviously. Um, I just want to round out the other teams that had the most sacks. Saints, 51, shouldn't be surprising. Rams at 50, Aaron Donald. That is probably won't change all that much. The Vikes, I mentioned. Your Niners, 48. I mean, they're a great pass rushing unit. Jacksonville, New England, and Tampa all at 47. And we had a good conversation with the Jacksonville folks. You know, like maybe Allen gets better and Chase on's there now. So I think there's some optimism that the Jags can at least maintain that. I think so. They, I mean, they have so much speed coming off the edge in Jacksonville. That's one of the things that mm-hmm. I think you can hang your hat on and look for maybe a, a reason that they win a few more games this year. You know, you get some decent quarterback play. We talked to Tony Wiggins about how maybe Gardner Minshew is underrated and Jacksonville can can bring some pressure off the edge with a whole lot of speed and, and have a three-headed monster if Ngakwe sticks around and actually shows up and plays for the Jags this season. Uh, and and hassle opposing quarterbacks, and and that's you know that's yeah. that can be that's a recipe for some success in the NFL. I think, even though we're seeing more and more teams 
do it a little bit opposite where they're trying to cover first before they're trying to rush the passer and vice versa. So this is interesting because we're seeing a lot of teams and, and mostly it's the Belichick tree teams that are really focusing on defensive backs and they want the best cover guys they can get. And a lot of other teams are just stacking up sort of like the 49ers are. And we talked about the Panthers yeah. adding more and they just want the beastliest defensive line they can get and go get the quarterback. And, and that'll help the back end of their defense. So it's really interesting how we're seeing two varying ways to to build your defense in the league. And they've both been pretty successful. Just a matter of doing it well. Yeah. And I, I think the analytics folks believe in, you know, getting cover men first. Yes. I am not quite convinced of that. I just think yeah. having Chase Young and Aaron Donald, you know, five feet away from the quarterback every play is the way I would do it. But the Patriots are on this list, to your point, you know, as one of the better pass rushing teams, even though they don't have good pass rushers. And the bottom of the list might shock some people, too. There's some bad pass rushing teams next last year. Do you want to talk about the bad pass rushing teams first, and then we'll talk a little bit about some differential and what teams could be getting worse or getting better next year? Sure, sure. Okay. Have you checked out rockauto.com yet? If you haven't, you should. I'm looking around on here, and I'm blown away how many parts they have for my old 1972 Ford Ranchero. My grandfather drove it off the lot in 1972. Since then, my uncle, my brother, eventually me, and then now it's sitting. Everybody in our family has driven this car at one point. I love this car. It's been my dream to go work on this thing, get it running, and and pull it out of my uncle's backyard, which it currently is growing weeds around. And I'm blown away going through rockauto.com and seeing all the parts they have for a 1972 Ranchero let alone my Mazda CX-5, the current vehicle that I drive. All the parts you could ever need for your car or truck at rockauto.com. It's a family-owned business. It's been around for 20 years helping people buy parts online. No different price structures for mechanics or do-it-yourselfers. Reliably low prices, right locked on in the box so they know we sent you. Go fix up that old car. Keep your new car running. Go to rockauto.com. Uh, here's the worst. Miami only had 23 sacks last year. I mean, that's five worse than everybody else. The The Lions in Seattle were second worst. Oh, so was Atlanta. Uh, the Chargers only had 30. I mean, that one just bells are going off that they're going to have way more than that next year. I mean, I can't imagine the Chargers only having 30 sacks next year. Houston and, and Cincinnati only had 31. You hope J.J. Watt comes back and has a, you know, a, a massive effect on that. I think the Bengals' D-line actually isn't bad. Raiders only had 32, and Chicago, despite having Khalil Mack, only had 32. So that's a little bit of a concern. I do think adding Quinn helps them a little bit. That Bears situation is the one that I don't get because at least their defense was, you know, they were sort of the Nash, the, the NFC version of what the Steelers were. Yeah. In my mind, like how they're built, and, you know, that that defense should have been the powerhouse and carried them to, to be a better team than they were last year in Chicago. So the fact that they aren't getting after the quarterback with all the resources they put in Khalil Mack, and um, that, that's that got to be kind of concerning, I think. But maybe that's a team that it was an odd year, and we'll see MV Defensive Player of the Year version Khalil Mack, and we'll see that defense come back and, you know, regress positively next year. You get a little bit better quarterback play from Nick Foles, or maybe he pushes Trubisky to take that next step and play better. So you're better at quarterback. Your defense has positive regression. Uh, you still have some good weapons on offense. Uh, maybe maybe the Bears are that sleeper team. Who knows? Yeah, and, and again, it goes back to my point about the Steelers earlier. Playing with a lead sure helps. 
Absolutely. Uh, you talked about Miami. So Miami was tied, right? 58, I think, was the most sacks given up last year, Carolina yep. and Miami. I've talked about how Miami, and this is one of those, again, Belichick disciple teams with Brian Flores, and they spent a ton of resources on the defensive backs, but not on pass rush this offseason. They did try to help out their offensive line a little bit, but uh, so that sacks allowed should get better, but I don't think they're going to sack opposing teams more. They're going to cover better, though, so that'll be the most interesting team to me to see how that formula works because that that's one of the things going to hold back that defense when I look at the Miami Dolphins on paper and why they might not be able to take a bigger leap than maybe some people want them to take in Miami. It's because of their front seven and maybe not being able to get after the quarterback. So I think that's the number one litmus test for coverage versus defensive line because they are like have an absurd amount of resources in the defensive backfield right now and looks like like a really good unit and it's the exact opposite on the uh, on the pass rush with Miami. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be a fun team to see if they can improve on the league worst minus 35 sack differential from last year. I mean, they were the they had the fewest sacks and allowed the most. I mean, <laughs> it's like, not close. Yeah, the minus 35 is a historic number. And I'd like to just kind of mention again the tops and bottoms of sacks allowed. And then I want to get to the sack differential if that works for you. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I mentioned the, the, the Dolphins. Carolina was in the same boat, also, also at, at 58. We talked about both those teams. I mean, amazing that Carolina would have a negative sack differential. Tennessee allowed 54, and they're not a pass-heavy team. I think a lot of that's on Tannehill, and I also think their line certainly is more run-blocking than it is pass protection. Jets had 52 allowed. Atlanta had 50, but they also had a lot of attempts. Arizona had 50. Washington at 50, Houston at 49, although I think their line has gotten noticeably better. I also think Watson's one of those guys that's going to probably be a high sack guy all in all throughout his career. Yeah, I was going to say that about about Watson in Houston and Kyler Murray in Arizona. A lot of people point to the quarterback as why maybe they got sacked a little bit more and it maybe made their offensive line look worse than it actually was. Yeah, they hold the ball longer, playmakers, run around behind the line of scrimmage, Maybe they try to run and they get they get tackled one mm-hmm. yard behind the line of scrimmage. They call that a sack. So those type of quarterbacks don't always help the sack numbers. But sacks allowed, there were eight teams that allowed less than 30 sacks. And the Rams led the league. I mean, everyone wants to kill the Rams offensive line. And yeah, they didn't run the ball like they used to, but they only allowed 22 sacks all year. Dallas at 23. New Orleans at 25, Kansas City at 25, the Vikes and New England at 28, same with the Ravens, and Oakland at 29. So uh, I a lot of those are some of the better offensive lines in the league, you know, quarterbacks that get the ball out quick. I was just so, going to say, yeah, quarterbacks yeah. that get the ball out quick when you start talking about New Orleans and the Rams and New England and some of those teams, uh, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, I think there's a, a clear correlation there with the quarterbacks that's like, yeah, that ball's out in two and a half seconds. Yes, absolutely. You want to do differential? Yes, let's take a look at differential. I was actually surprised. I wouldn't have guessed that the Los Angeles Rams had the best differential in the league last year. Yeah, I think that's really encouraging, too, because if anything, I would think they rush the passer a little better. I mean, Aaron Donald's not going away. I think their protection will probably be a little better, but they were number one. The Saints, those two stood alone. They were plus 26. The Saints were plus 20, or they were plus 28. The Saints were plus 26, and I don't think that should shock anybody. Breeze, great line, great scheme, 
great pass rush. Saints are, they know what they're doing. Um, my Steelers were at 22. We knew they led the league in sacks, but even with really bad quarterback play, but more so than bad quarterback play, not knowing the pocket, not knowing where blitzes were coming from, they only allowed 32 sacks. And to me, that's somewhat encouraging. And I really didn't think the line was a problem in Pittsburgh for much of the year. Um, again, the Vikings were up there because they were both, they were one of the teams like New Orleans and the Rams that were in the near the top in terms of sacks and the best in sacks allowed. Kansas City was plus 20 as well. They were very dramatic though. I mean, they were 45 sacks allowed 25. They weren't as close. Um, New England, they were also amongst the leaders in both, as we mentioned. Dallas was also plus 16, and San Francisco was plus 12, too. But they allowed 36, which is kind of a high number for your Niners. Yeah, the the offensive line in San Francisco was odd because they they run they were they were such a good run blocking offensive line, but they really weren't very good. And it's an underreported uh, fact with the with the 49ers and uh, and that offense is they didn't pass block all the that well. And at one point in the season, they had lost both of their starting offensive tackles at the same time in Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. So I expect offensive line pass protection, especially to get better for the Niners, might help Jimmy Garoppolo have some more time to to throw the ball down the field more in 2020, which he did not do too much of um, last year. I, I want to talk about real quick with the differential, a team that's sort of in the middle. They were plus three last year, but they were reverse what we've seen from a lot of teams here. They were low in both sacks they collected, but they also didn't give up very many sacks. The The Oakland Raiders, the now Las Vegas Raiders, they yeah. only had 32 sacks, but only gave up 29 sacks last year. So that was... That was something that I think, you know, they do have a very good offensive line. I think that number of sacks that they collected on defense can go way up this year, and that would help Las Vegas a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I really like Max Crosby. Um, I have some hope still for Cleveland Farrell. They have some young guys there. It wouldn't shock me if next year's first-round pick is a is, is a pass rusher. Um, but I think they're an interesting team, too, because – what started this entire spreadsheet was when I started doing yards per play differential. You know, how many yards you create on offense versus how many yards per play you allow on defense. And the Steelers and Raiders were the only two that ended up zero. You know, they allow the exact same on offense, exact same on defense. Where the Steelers, as we've talked about, great on D, horrendous on O. Oakland is closer to that, or they were Oakland then. It's closer to that than people realize. Like, I think this offense protection um, in terms of, you know, construction by Gruden was better than people thought last year. And Carr had a better year. And now you give them all these young speedsters. I mean, I think the Raiders, O could be pretty good. And run blocking for Josh Jacobs. How high are right. you on Josh Jacobs next year? Just to take this I conversation off topic. Here's my take on him, and this is very fantasy related, is, okay, Nick Saban shared time with Jacobs and other five-star backs, right? I mean, okay, I mean, we knew that. And he came into the league with a reputation, which I think was very deserved, of very good receiving prowess as a guy coming into the league. The Raiders really didn't use them that way. I mean, Gruden is a grind. You're running back down to the nub Cadillac Williams type of running back user, but didn't use him much in the passing game. And then they go draft Lynn Bowden and they kept, uh, what's his face? They're, they're Richard, they're receiving back, which makes me think that the couple coaching staffs now 
might look at him not as a workhorse, not as a million touch type of guy, because I think the talent's there. I think he could have a really big year. I don't know that his receiving numbers will be where people want because I think on third and eight, he's going to leave the field. It's interesting because he has that skill set, though, which is why everyone gets really excited. You're like, okay, he's going to be the guy three down back. He's built that way, uh, but he never has carried that load. And so I wonder if the load they'll try to, to take off his plate is those that passing down stuff, which obviously hurts his fantasy value. That's just kind of my hunch is that two staffs now have told us he's not a hundred percent type player. And even though he's good at both phases, he didn't wasn't used as a receiver in Oakland last year. So will Vegas use him as a receiver? And if they do, he could be a top five fantasy back. You know I mean? I think he has that capability. I love the skills. But I think the writing's been telling us that neither team has trusted him to be a true bell cow. All right, let's take a look at the bottom of the league in sack differential. And then I think we'll have time for a couple of leftover questions from last week that uh, that I want to hit some some overflow Twitter Thursday questions that we'll hit today on this Monday episode of Locked On NFL. Okay, I jumped the gun earlier Matt, when I started talking about the differential from Miami, because it's so far and away the worst in the league. They're minus 35, which is just, uh, it's unfathomable how bad they both pass protected and got after the quarterback last year. Minus 35, to put it in perspective, they're the 32nd on this list. 31, the Atlanta Falcons, was 13 better. They were minus 22. So that's how bad Miami was on both sides, collecting and giving up sacks last year. Yeah, I mean, obviously a huge problem for Miami That won't be solved in the day. They did invest a lot in offensive linemen, but a lot of them are Eric Flowers, mash your face type. Um, They brought in some defensive linemen, but I don't think, you know, Lawson and those guys are difference maker pass rushers, like you mentioned. They're going to have to derive it through blitz as, you know, their predecessor in New England has done. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know that they're going to be, they're not going to be minus 35 next year. Just by accident, it has to get better. They have to, and and they were so bad to begin the year. I mean, but I don't think they're going to reach mediocrity. I mean, even if they get halfway to mediocrity, that would be a massive... (laughs) I mean, even if they were number 31 on this list, that's 13 better in sack differential, which would help that team quite a bit. And they still won a few games, too, which is surprising. It is surprising. And uh, do you want to buzz through this list here? The other guys struggling? We got Atlanta at minus 22. And again, they threw the ball a ton. They did draft two offensive linemen in the first round a year ago, so maybe that comes back to reality a little bit better. And they have some okay pass rushers, not great. Seattle was minus 20, not so great, and I don't know if their pass rush gets much better. Houston, we mentioned that you know they're one of the teams on both bad lists. They were minus 18 and were one of the worst in sacks and one of the worst in sacks allowed. Cincinnati, minus 17. I got to think Bur- that gets a little better. I-, I tend to think that that one's trending up. The Jets, minus 17. Also, they invested at least in offensive linemen. I mean, their line almost has to be better. Lions were minus 15. Chicago, we talked about before, mostly because of the not being able to generate sacks, minus 13. And Tennessee, minus 13. Again, because they allowed so many have a new right tackle who I can't believe is a better pass blocker than Jack Conklin, who wasn't a great pass blocker to begin with. 
Yeah, and then in minus 10, I just want to point out Arizona that actually did a really good job getting after quarterbacks last year, yeah. You know, aside from giving up those 50 sacks. So a negative 10 number is actually not that bad. No, right, especially with the line they were playing with, rookie quarterback, a lot of those type of things. So, yeah, I don't think that is so bad. I know Clowney only had three sacks last year, so that wouldn't really help this number if he has another three sacks, but he's impactful. Mm-hmm. And disruption is production, as they say. I mean, Seattle's got to try to find a way to to bring back Clowney, right, and improve on that negative 20 sack differential. I would think so. You've also heard them link to Tennessee. I mean, they they were one of the worst ones, although I blame their offense more than their defense. But, um, I mean, to your point, yes. I mean, is Clowney worth being the highest-paid defense player in the league? Of course not. I mean, I said that before free agency opened. He's going to get overpaid, and actually that didn't happen yet. But he's impacts the passing game and the pass rush a lot more than three sacks. Okay, since we're talking statistics here, I want to move on to Tom in Texas. He says a slightly philosophical question here. If analytics gets to the point where game's outcome can be predicted within a 90% accuracy, would that ruin the game? Yeah, of course it would. Yeah. I just don't know how that possibly could happen. Well, I want, yeah, how, how good is Vegas? With their with their odds making, do you know like what an overall percentage Vegas is as far as if they're uh, the the teams that they predict win actually win? I don't. That'd be a fun thing to dig into, and maybe even more fun was you know, how close to the line are they on average? You know, because they actually are they are predicting the game. You're going to win by six and a half. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah. not only who it, wins, but the the score. Um, right. It it's interesting because. I think analytics just adds to it because it's another level of ways to look at the game. And I think it actually makes things harder to predict in some ways because there's so much data now. So who's looking at the right data? How are you crunching those numbers? Um, And there's still always going to be a human element. There's still humans out there playing. So the guy who you think is like the most perfectly consistent player you know exactly what you're going to get from him man maybe he's got a bad ankle that you don't really know about or maybe he just has a bad day something's on his mind or he's you know there's just it's it's a human game it's humans played by humans and then we get 11 humans versus 11 other humans so many different things can happen and everything takes its own shape and that's why you get upsets and uh, it's just it's never going to get to the point where because of data they can predict predict things that close to where it's not going to be a fun game to follow and watch. Uh, it just, I just don't think you could ever get there just because there are human beings involved and human beings are, are not, um, are not that predictable. No, no, they're not. They're not robots. They're not going to perform the same every day. They get sick. They fight with their wives. They have issues at home. They didn't sleep well the night before more so than other sports. I think, well, at least most years, weather, home road splits, um, injuries throughout the course of a game are going to make a bigger impact than in baseball or basketball or hockey, things like that too. And I I just don't see it. I mean, I know this is kind of a cliche, but it's an oblong ball that gets goofy bounces and there's some unpredictability just with things like that too. You know, I I just, I I don't see it at all. I totally agree. I totally agree with you. Um, Let's go to, Rich, he says, will Cam put the rushing TD records for quarterbacks out of sight in the next two, three years? Hmm. I guess I'd have to look at that, but boy, I see. I, I mean, mean, don't you think he's, what, what would you put his over under on 
rushing touchdowns in 2020? Five, five and a half, six? Yeah, six is a lot for a quarterback. Um, right. And, and I don't know. Yardage back. I don't think he's going to run more than he did in the past. So I wouldn't expect those numbers to grow for Cam. But just playing, he's going to get some. And he's obviously, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a big part of his game. And if he can't do that, then that hurts his value for any team that has him at quarterback. Um, but no matter how far he puts it out there, if you're looking at pace, you got to expect that uh, that Lamar Jackson is going to run him down, you know, no matter how far out yeah, there he right. gets it. He's not going to be able to set the bar, you know, Cy Young wins level. I totally agree. And, and, and the game is going that way. So that might be the type of record that grows and grows and grows. So I'm looking it up right now. He has 58 for his career uh, in second place. 15 behind him is Steve Young at 43. Cordell Stewart is in fourth place at 38. So he's already pretty far out there. Um, mm. I bet he gets to 70, 75 when it's all said and done. Yeah. And that's a huge, that, that would, that would double where Steve Young is, who used to be the number one guy before Cam Newton overtook him. So, I mean, that is a pretty big number. Um, so it's all about there's longevity. such an influx of athletic quarterbacks coming in the league. How long do those guys play? You know, how long does mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson play? So him getting injured is, is the reason. And, and that's one of the things that Cam had going for him is just that size. So he wasn't just athletic and could go run. Uh, he was, he was your goal line back, pretty much. That's what I was going to say. Is I think he's obviously the best goal line quarterback we've ever seen. And I'm sure yeah. New England will use that. Absolutely. You have to. I mean, they used it with Tom Brady, who was the worst running yeah, quarterback in the league. <laughs> right, right, right. Good point. Um, how much does T.Y. Hilton have left? This is from Justin on Twitter. I don't know. I hate those kind of questions, Justin, because I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, I don't know injuries. I'm not getting on your case, Justin, but I think that is a huge question. I think it derailed the cold season more than people realize. I thought they were very T.Y. dependent, and I have some hope for Paris Campbell, but a lot of hope for Pittman going forward, so I think they'll be less and less T.Y. dependent, but he's, what, 31-ish and not the most physically imposing guy to begin with. I mean, he's not going to age like Larry. I mean, he's going to age. When your game's built around speed and you start to get older and nicked up, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, as the Colts are doing, time to make plans for him not being around and being a highly effective player that much longer. I think this will probably answer the question. I'm guessing that Matt Williamson doesn't have a ton of T.Y. Hilton stock in his numerous fantasy football leagues. <laughs> Not in my dynasty leagues yeah. at all. I mean, I got out on that one when the getting was good a year or so ago, even when luck was there and his, his stock was still pretty high, which was really only a year ago, which is hard to believe how much like guys like his stock can change. I wonder, though, I haven't done enough redraft. If he starts slipping... I mean, he's going to get targets from what I think is a pretty good offense. And if he, he might have that stink about him where nobody wants to pick him. All right, we're out of time here. It's going to be fun to get into tomorrow's program, talking about the Washington insert name here. We actually have the odds that I want to run by Chris Russell, <laughs> the current host of Locked on Redskins, uh, to see which team name he thinks the new Washington football team will be renamed to, and it's sounding more and more like that. Uh, renaming could happen this year, so we'll get into everything happening in Washington, both on and off the field on tomorrow's show right here, Locked on NFL.